to you. Isn't it great to know we are free in Jesus Christ? Of all the freedoms we enjoy as Americans, uh, there is not one that's greater than knowing that we are free in Christ because of what he did for us. Not a one. I would give up my citizenship on this earth, which, by the way, I'm just a visitor anyway. Doesn't make me an alien, in case anybody's wondering or made accusations in the past. My citizenship is in heaven, and uh, I'm just passing through. But in the meantime, as I'm passing through, I want to tell you about the king that I worship. So I'm so glad that you're here with me this morning and that we get an opportunity to open up God's word and uh, to see what he has to say to us and has been saying to us. You ever make a, a promise to God? You ever make a deal with him? God, if you'll just uh, let me get through this, or if you'll just do this for me, if you'll just fix this situation, I will love you and serve you and do all these things forever and ever. Anybody ever do that? Lord, if you'll just get me a better job, if you'll just get me a, a different boss. Uh, maybe some of you have served in the military. You realize that, that, that sometimes that gets a little closer to reality. Lord, if you'll get me out of this situation get me back home, you get me back to our family. Many of you know I'm a, a big fan of, of, of World War II history, and I know that there's a lot of things that happened through many of those men. One of the stories we know of Mr. Zeppelini, after coming back from World War II, was saved at a Billy Graham crusade, and that was the same deal he made. Lord, if you'll just forgive me, I'll serve you all the days of my life, and he gave his life back to Christ and stopped drinking and became a much, much better guy because of that promise he made. But if you're honest with yourself this morning, as I'm hoping you will be, have you broken that promise? Remember the deal you made with God, and maybe he did get you out of the situation or get you a better boss or fix whatever, but you just kind of drifted back to where you were, pre-Kenneth Wesley. I know I have. I know I do it all the time, and sometimes it's a matter of empty promises, but it's usually just because I'm very selfish about what I want and I'm not considering that there's a bigger picture here. This morning, I hope to share with you the thing that you probably know and may have taken for granted, but it's good to know that God always keeps his promises, isn't it? I mean, if you hear nothing else today, here's what you can know, that God always keeps his promises, that he is a, he is a, a person of his word. He is a God of his word. He always does what he says he will do. He acts exactly as he said he would. There is no mystery about God's behavior or activity with us that he's hidden from us. He's been very clear about that, whether that be punishment or reward. Many times we really take good discipline whenever we realize, hey, we deserved this, but we also were warned in advance that this is how things were going to go if we did a certain thing. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 33. It's the it's the last of the four books that's kind of hidden inside of Jeremiah called the Book of Consolation. It's the, the fourth chapter of that. And this Book of Consolation is this book of hope for the people of Israel moving forward. And it kind of comes out of Jeremiah 29, 11 of God saying to his chosen people, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans for a hope and for a future. And so in the next four chapters, he kind of lays out what those plans were for the people of Israel. Now, let's be clear, those promises were for them specifically, but we can see in these promises, in God's hope and God's future for, for those folks then, that we can see God's character. And so when he makes a promise, he's going to uphold it. And he certainly has made a promise to his chosen people, but he's made a promise to us. And so as we look at the first three verses only this morning in Jeremiah chapter 33, there's something that we can understand about 
God's promises and our prayers to him and how we seek him. And we know that when we talk to God, which is all prayer is, uh, we get an opportunity not just to listen to him, but to listen to him through his word. And we know that God always keeps his promises. And that's a great thing. That's something we can run back to. It's a safe and warm place for us. And so if you would this morning, look with me in Jeremiah chapter 33. And I just want to jump in here this morning because there's some things I I really want to get to. But the first thing we can see is that we can pray in his presence. Now, here's what's going on with Jeremiah. He is in prison at this time. And while he's in prison, he's he's probably either been in the stocks uh, or he's about to be. They're ridiculing him. They've told him he can't worship in the temple anymore. He's spoken out against the king, and he told the king, you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to get exiled, and you're going to personally die in a foreign land, which was, was really just shaming him. I mean, it really was embarrassing to the king, and the, the king was upset about this. And so Jeremiah, it, it, it says in Jeremiah 33, verse 1 alone, it says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Boy, this is just something that we need to always understand is that we can pray in God's presence, and his presence is a promise to those who believe in him. Jeremiah seemed to be the only one who really believed in God wholly, completely. And what I mean by that is something that we can probably identify with is that we know that God exists or we think God exists, and we certainly want to hope that he exists when we need him. When, he, when we need him to do something for us, when we need him to get us out of a situation we've created for ourselves. And Jeremiah here says that for a second time, the word came to him while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. No matter what our situation is, as believers in Jesus Christ, the presence of God is always accessible to us. We always know where to find him, and he always knows where to find us. Whether we're in prison, whether we're in a playground, or whether we're in the palace, the presence of God is with us always. It is the promise that he has made that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He made that promise to the children of Israel. He made that promise through Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. And we know that when we seek God earnestly, no matter what the circumstance may be, no matter how hard things may be, no matter how challenging they may be, we can rest on the promise of the presence of God who said, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. Here's Jeremiah who's locked up in prison while he's still shut up in the court of the guard. It's very similar to what the law was given to them in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Right after they were given the covenant, it's very similar. That God says that he will always answer the prayers of his children. In Deuteronomy 31, it says, It is the Lord who goes before me. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You know, I think sometimes we talk ourselves into bad situations by believing that God's not present just because he didn't answer me the way I wanted him to, because he didn't do things the way I wanted him to do. Even maybe we get to a place to say, I blame God for the choices I made that turned into the circumstances that I'm currently in. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. He wouldn't do this to me. Friends, if you really understand the presence of God, you would know that he loves us always, and it's because of his love that he pours out his grace to us. And no matter our circumstance, no matter where we are, we can pray in his presence knowing that no matter what is happening, he's there for us. Jesus said in John 14, which is a really interesting passage of Scripture, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I mean, isn't that something right there? The presence of God doesn't, doesn't say you've got to come running and looking for me. If you are my children, I will come to you, just like a, a father. I mean, dads, moms, you know that, that cry that your kid makes that's really not that serious? And then there's the one that goes, wait a minute, that was, that's, that's a trouble scream, right? 
I mean, there's something happening. Like, it sounds a little bit different. I need to go running to where they are. It doesn't matter how far away you are. If your kids need you, you're going to run to them, aren't you? They know they can turn to you always. It doesn't matter how bad the circumstance may be. It doesn't matter how bad the relationship may be damaged. The presence of a loving father is always with those who believe. But if you're not a believer today, I want you to know that God is aware of you, but he's made no promise to you to answer your prayers. I want that to soak in for just a minute because so many times we get this um, universality of belief that if, if, if I don't necessarily believe in God, if I'm not giving him uh, my life and asked him to change my heart, to take this heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh and to, to write his name on my, if I haven't done that, if I haven't fully surrendered to him, well, if I get into trouble, I can just call out to God and he'll answer me. That's not true. And I don't want you leaving here today thinking that you can just have a, 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 a cursory understanding of God and believing that I can just rub the, the lamp and the genie pops out and God's going to show up for me. And if he doesn't show up for me, that must mean that he doesn't love me and he's not real. That doesn't have anything to do with God. That's got everything to do with you. It's got everything to do with your heart and your relationship with him. And so if you're not a believer this morning, I want you to listen to me very carefully on this. It's not that God can't hear your prayers. It's not that God doesn't want to hear your prayers. It's just that you have not prepared your heart to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord God Almighty. You have no advocate in Jesus Christ to stand between you and the one who created you. And he did everything for you to do so. And while it's true in both Romans and the book of Acts, where Paul writes, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, I think it's important that we understand that you call upon the name of the Lord not to save you from your circumstances, but to save your eternal soul to be with him forever and ever. We can pray with the promise of God's presence when we submit to the Lord and know that he has authority over everything and every place, not just outside, but inside of our hearts. That's my prayer for you who maybe don't believe this morning, who don't understand that. Is God everywhere? You better believe he's everywhere. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He's not unaware of these things. When we confess our sins to him, we're not presenting new knowledge to God. He's fully aware of what's going on. What we're presenting is our hearts to him to say, would you please, Lord, do something with this because I've really messed things up and I can't fix it, but I'm trusting that you can. We can pray according to the presence just as Jeremiah did, even though he was locked up in prison at the time, even though for a second time God came to him in a really bad circumstance, he understood the relationship he had, and he tells us that God says that if you are my children and I am your God, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, I'm with you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The second thing we can see is in verse 2, that we can pray in his power. And I think this is where we really miss out. We gauge the power of God based upon what he does, not who he is. What he does according to our wishes, not according to his own. Look at verse 2 with me in Jeremiah 33. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Now this is, this is a lot of the Lord's in this, this one verse. But what the, this message here is saying to us very clearly that, that we're talking about the, about the Lord Yahweh here, the, the God who created all things with his spoken word. And when we know that we can talk to him, we can pray in his power, because by his word alone, he spoke everything into existence. That's powerful. That's powerful. He spoke everything into existence for our good and for his glory. 
that if he has the power to create life and to create everything on this earth, he has the power to overcome everything that's going on in your world. Always, not just when you need him, not just when things get really hard or things get really bad. His name is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. Not I will be, or I could be, or I might be. I am always who I am. And because I am always who I am, I am always full of power and more than capable of overcoming whatever the circumstances may be, even to the point of bringing my son back from death so that you may have eternal life. When we pray, we can do so in power because the creator of the universe is all-powerful and more powerful than our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, and our illnesses. For the unbeliever in the room this morning or who might be listening to this online, we might not know or acknowledge God's power fully when or if we do actually pray. We might ask God, will you help me to do this or will you help me to do this or will you, you make this situation go away? And it's, it's sadly a little bit intellectually lazy because we got ourselves into the situation and now we're going to put some test on God to get us out of the situation, but yet we're not willing to fully give him all of ourselves, and he certainly gave him us all that we have. See, the power that we have is this, in Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let me tell you something, friend. Last week we saw the phrase, is anything too hard for God? The answer is no, it's not. Now I might add a caveat to that, not to change scripture, but I would say that God's not going to impose his will on you. He's not going to force his will on you, particularly when it comes to salvation. The only thing that I think may be too hard for God is your heart. That doesn't mean he can't overcome that. It just means that you've chosen not to let him in and not to let him do the work that he promised that he would do with the power that only he has and the desire in that power to save you not only from yourself but to save you for eternity. It's why Paul would also write in the book of Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, catch this, who believes. It's not the power for those who do not believe. After all, if they don't believe, then where would that power come from? What would they believe in? Paul says this is first for the Jew and also for the Greek. And even in prison, Jeremiah said, I can praise to God wherever I am. His presence is always with me. His power is always universal and mighty. And I can pray in his name to the Lord God, Yahweh. Now, for the believer, not only can we pray, but I would recommend that we pray according to to his promises. And this is where I'd like to spend a little time this morning. Is seeing that there are three promises in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 33, 3. In fact, there was a movie years ago where there was a, a phone number to God, and, and you may have noticed this, but if you saw it, the, the number was 333. It was Jeremiah 33, 3. It was the promise that we have here. And there are three promises in this verse alone that we're going to look at this morning. And, and Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And the first promise that we can, we can always bank on with God is that we can call to him. We can call to him. That is a promise. God said that there's no place you can be that I can't hear you. There's no circumstance by which we can't communicate but one, and we'll get there in a minute. God invites us to call to him. He welcomes us. He wants to hear from us. You might, you, you might remember that in the garden that they walked together in full presence of one another. 
God enjoys being with his children. He wants to be with us, and we can always call to him, and he will be there. The psalmist writes in Psalm 116, Because he inclined his ear to hear me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. You ever yell into a cave or into a big room like this and you get an echo? That's kind of what prayer looks like sometimes. We only hear ourselves speaking and we don't calm down long enough to listen to God pour his promises out to us. Sometimes we might even get a little frustrated because we don't hear what we want to hear or hear it the right way, but we know that we can always call to him. Unfortunately, that seems to be the last call, not the first call. That is an opportunity for us as believers to make God our first and only call instead of trying to figure it out on our own. Jeremiah, who is often accredited with writing parts of Lamentations, would write in Lamentations 3.55, he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called you. You said, do not fear. Again, I'll go back to a child having a nightmare in the other room, calling out for mom or dad. And you know that when they're little, the best thing you can do is to comfort them. And the way that you do that first is not by just running in there. You call out to them and let them know, I hear you. Mom or dad's coming. I'm there for you. You can call out wherever you are, and I will hear you no matter what the circumstance is. That's the loving relationship that a father has with his child, that a parent has with their child. And we know we can call out to him. But you know, many people claim to pray and that God doesn't hear their prayers. And they do so because God didn't answer their prayers the way that they wanted them them answered. Some of you know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And if you don't, I'll just kind of recap this for you. Elijah was one against 400. They had called down a drought three years earlier. There had been no rain. And so they climb up this mountain called Mount Carmel. And he says, I got a deal for you prophets of Baal, for you false worshipers over there. Let's build a, 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 a two altars, one on each side here, and you pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God, and we'll see which one of them gets consumed first. And he goes, oh, just, just in case, y'all climb down the mountain, go to the nearest water source in the midst of a three-year drought, by the way, bring water back up to the mountain and soak mine with water. As Elijah prayed, fire came down and consumed his offering to God. 1 Kings 18 says, And you call upon the name of your God. This is him talking to the prophets of Baal. And I'll call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire. He's God. And all the people answered, He's well spoken. Sounds good. Let's make a deal. And they did so. And, of course, the outcome was that the fire consumed and Elijah's God was confirmed because he had answered them. What also happened during that time was that when Elijah called out to God, other people watched him call out to God, and they saw the outcome of that. It had nothing to do with them at the moment because Elijah stood in the gap and called out to God on behalf of all the people there that they would but see the power of his God, and God answered him. If you're a believer today, God's not answered you when you call out to him. I want you to hang on for a minute. Maybe you have prayed that prayer over and over again, and maybe God just hasn't been there for you, or you don't know what's happening. I want you to hang on for just a second. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian today, I want to remind you what Acts chapter 22 says, verse 16. It says, and know why do you, do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There is but one prayer that I think God hears of a non-believer. And that is a cry for salvation. 
And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I hate to tell you that you're wasting your time. But if you've not given your heart to God, I wouldn't expect any different results. I wouldn't expect just for him to come and say, no, 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 it's okay for you just to use me when I'm convenient. It's okay for you just to go on living your life that doesn't honor me, doesn't respect me, that doesn't acknowledge what my son did for you, and I'll just give you all the desires of your heart. I believe that might be the scariest prayer that we ever get answered, is that God gives us the true desires of our heart, especially when those desires are not him, they're not from him, and they bring him no glory and bring us no good whatsoever. But if you are an unbeliever this morning, I want to invite you that you can call to him. But you can't call to him asking him to fix all of these issues until he fixes your heart, until he puts that right. That's the call that he wants for you to make. Now, for those of us who are believers, we know that we can call to him all the time. But there's going to be a couple of caveats here in a minute. And I'll get to those. But the second promise we see in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 2, is exactly simple. Call to me and I will answer. Now, that's good to know, isn't it? Call to me, and I will answer. Some of you aren't old enough to know what a busy signal is. If you were ever to get one of those, you would think there's something wrong with the phone system. There's something happening here. You get a beep, which means that, hey, this person knows I'm calling. I don't care who else they're talking to. I expect you to click over, right? You get the little options on your phone, and I have to be honest with you. When you see those on an iPhone, it says hold and accept or hang up and ignore, and I'm like, I don't know which one to, to hit right? And so I end up hitting the, the third option, which hangs up on everybody. And then I do this wonderful thing of justification that says, well, if they really want to talk to me, they'll call back, right? The promise that we have says, and I will answer you. This is God just saying, if you will call to me, if you'll seek me with your heart, if you'll listen to me, I will answer you. Telemarketers, I don't know what happened. Somebody signed me up or something, but they hit me this week several times. I talked about them last week, and I get all these telemarketer calls this week. And, and there's a name that's been given that's associated with my phone number over the years. I've been getting this. Apparently, my, my, my name is Malachian Chen. I'm not sure who that is, but that's who I am. And this gentleman was asking me about this, this uh, opportunity to get a grant from the government for $15,000 if I would just uh, give him some information and call back and all this sort of thing. It was a scam, absolute scam. I knew exactly what it was. And, and, and it's, it's like so many of the other ones, you know, the, the phone rings and then there's that pause and you're not sure whether to say hello or not because, you know, they may be recording your voice and I don't know what you have that's voice activated and they're going to use it against you, right? It's just how my mind works, right? But you never get a word in edgewise with these people. Have you noticed that? Hello, is this Malachian Chin? Uh, yes. And it just goes on and on and on. You just can't get a word in edgewise. And, and they, they finally ask you, is this something you'd like to do? And if it's insurance, I, I, I just I have to confess this morning, when it's insurance, like automobile insurance, I just tell them, hey, listen, I, I, I'm an uninsured motorist. I live in Harris County. I really don't care. And it just throws them for this loop. Like, what? I'm like, I really, I don't want insurance. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Why is that? I'm like, they'll never find me anyway. Cops won't show up. And they just kind of look at you. They, I mean, you just hear them on the other side of the phone going, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know. Yeah, it's not in the script, right? Exactly right. Aren't you glad God didn't do that to us? Aren't you glad that, that when we start blabbering on and 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 on, that, that, that God didn't get a word in edgewise sometimes because he's just hearing about all of our problems and all the things that are going on and what everybody else is doing to me and, and what this person said or what this person did or didn't do? Aren't you glad God's not like we are? 
Psalm 4, 3 says, The Lord will hear when I call on Him. The Bible tells us to pray with expectation, that when we call out to the Lord, we pray with boldness and expectation, knowing that if I am asking things that God is, wants to do that's within His character and His will, that He'll do those things. And the way that I know what that is is that I know Him through His Word, and I ask things that are in line with who He is. It's, it's one of the reasons why John 14, 13, and 14 are often misunderstood. The, the verse says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. This is Jesus, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, I will do it. And there's this misunderstanding that I can just pray, Lord, for half an hour, and then at the very end you say, in Jesus' name, and it's going it's to be granted to me. That's not how that works. The way it works is I have come to know who God is. And because I know who he is, I know when I step out of line, and I know when I'm in line with him because he has not hidden those things from me about who he is and his character. And so when I call out to him, he will answer me, but he's going to always answer the same way according to his will, according to his character. And sometimes he even tells me no. Sometimes he, he tells me that, that I'm asking the wrong question. There's another question a little bit deeper that he wants. But I can't just throw out Jesus' name like it's some sort of magical incantation. God doesn't give us everything we want, and that's a blessing. That's an absolute blessing that God doesn't give us everything we want. We wouldn't appreciate that if he did. But he says he will give us the desires of our heart, and when the desires of our heart are in line with his heart, then we can ask whatever we want. He's going to say, yeah, no problem. Everything that I have is yours. It's the other son in the prodigal story where he gets frustrated about dad bringing the prodigal back, and he says, son, older son, all of my kingdom was always accessible to you. It was always here for you. If you only knew the desires of my heart, you would know that it would be a greater thing than this. The promise that God will not only allow us to call to him, but he will answer to us. Is God not acting outside of who he is, but God always being consistent? And we can take that to the bank. God said it. I believe it. That's how it's going to be. I don't have to argue with it, manipulate it, try to translate it or change it to fit my circumstance. I can go back and say, you know, maybe God's saying no to me today because this is not who he is. This is not what he wants. He wants better and more for me. There are a couple caveats, though, and I want you to hear me pretty clearly on this. I made a statement a minute ago that some of you might be struggling with or might wrestle with. See, sometimes when God answers us, he says no outright. Sometimes he says, slow down a minute. You're getting ahead of yourself. You're not equipped. You're not prepared for me actually to do for you what you're asking me to do because this is just step one of 37 to go, and you're not ready for that. So he says, slow down a little bit. Sometimes he might actually say, oh, you need to grow a little bit in this. And part of that growth might be just stepping back and getting the disappointment of God saying no to you or God saying, not now. That's an answer too, by the way. And then finally, and this might actually be the scariest of answers that God gives us when we call to him, is he says, yeah, go get them. What? Really? <laughs> I, I, I was really kind of hoping you'd say no today because I wasn't fully prepared for a Yes. Let me tell you something, friends. When God says go, you're prepared. You're more than prepared. He will not send us into a situation by which he did not prepare us for. And while we don't feel prepared for that some days, that's not a reason for us to say no to God. That's a reason for us to say, you know what, God? I may not have all this figured out. I know that you do, and you're with me always no matter where I go. I'm not alone. I can go right to you. 
get myself in a bind, I can call out to you and you will answer me. I know you'll lead me. But there are some caveats here, and here's just a couple of them. Because I think it's important for us, particularly for for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who do not have a faith-based reality to know that, that Jesus died for their sin, is that we remember this. That you have to be a believer for God to hear your prayers. Let that soak in for just a minute, because it's probably not something that you've really ever heard before, and it's not something that people just outright teach you. Oh, yeah, you can pray to God whenever you want. Sure you can. But are you praying to the right God? Do you know the God you're praying to, and are you ready for him to act according to who he said he is? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you don't believe God exists, if you don't believe that he's the creator of the universe, you don't believe he has the power to speak things into existence, then I I would really be hard-pressed to wonder why you would believe God to fix your little problem. If the God who can talk all things into existence, if you don't believe he did that, then whatever your issue is, you shouldn't believe that he's going to fix that for you. He's under no obligation to do so, but he wants to. He wants to badly if you will put your faith in him. But if you have no faith in him, it's impossible to please him. Are you praying to a God of your mind and not a God of God? We also need to understand that our requests need to be according with God's plan. Matthew 6.10, the the end of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's a hard prayer sometimes. It's hard for us to say, okay, Lord, I really want it to go this way. I really want this to happen. I really want these... These are my parameters. Here's how I know I can trust you if you will act according to how I expect for you to act. Look back up to Matthew 6.10 and says, wait a minute, maybe your kingdom is bigger than my kingdom. Maybe your will is greater, wiser, smarter than what my will is. And you know what the best place for me to be is in your will, not in my will. Because that's what got me here to begin with. That's what messed things up. This one's probably going to bother some of us. But I think it's a reality we have to understand, and I personally kind of wrestle with this sometimes. As a believer, I think this verse can be interpreted one way, but as a non-believer, I think there's just a reality that we have to understand that when we pray to God, He is not obligated to hear us, especially if our sin is not made up right. I want you to just wrestle with that for a minute. I prayed, and 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 you lied, you cheated, you stole, you you coveted, you, you, you lusted after, you did all these other things. You have sin that is not just uh, uh, in your life, but it is a regular part of your life. It has become a part of your personality and your character. And so you act according to these sinful natures, and they have control over you, and they're killing you, by the way. And you're calling out to God for the situation, not for him to rescue you from the sin that has strangled you. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened. This is the psalmist saying that if I had not dealt with my sin honestly, if I had not declared to the Lord that that sin has stained me and I need rescue from this and only you can rescue me, then I can cry out to him all day long. But if I haven't confessed that sin, if I haven't repented to having broken his heart, then he is under no obligation to listen to me and to hear my prayers. Sometimes I wonder if we'd be honest enough to say, you know, maybe God's not answering me because there's sin that I haven't dealt with in my life. There's sin in my heart. There's hatred against my brother. There's, there's a crime I've committed against the Lord. There's, there's this, this, this fair-weather faith that I seem to be having. It's funny how when things are going our way, 
usually when we're talking to a little believer, we wait until tragedy strikes. The last two areas I would tell you that I think the Lord may not listen to our prayers is if we don't have the right relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus very clearly said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Jesus can't just be your lucky charm. He can't just be the rabbit's foot in your pocket. He can't be the bailout plan. Why do we wait till we get ourselves into trouble to run to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords instead of being with him, being in right relationship with him always so we don't get ourselves in those situations? We know there's no temptation that can overcome us that he himself hasn't already overcome. And there's nothing that, that he will put us into a situation where he hasn't given us the power and authority to get out of that situation to make better decisions. We know that to be true. If we're not abiding in Christ and he's not abiding in us, it really doesn't matter what we ask or who we ask it of. He's under no obligation to grant that to us. This is one that I think we all deal with. When our relationship with others isn't right, I don't think God's under any obligation to hear those prayers either. Because I think God looks at us and says, if you can't get along with one another, why would I give you everything that you want? Why would I reward that behavior? Why would I let you go around treating people the way that you do and then elevate you and say, this is the example of what we have to do in order to make that right? Mark eleven twenty five. and whatever you, whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If you were to look at those last two relationships, your relationship with Christ, your relationship with one another, you would see that it's just the great commission over and over again. It's the great commandments over and over again. It's all the laws of the prophets over and over again. It's the Ten Commandments over and over again. Love God, love people. If we'll just do that, I think God will hear our prayers as we call out to him, and he will answer our prayers. And that gets us to the third promise that we see in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. I think we get into trouble some days and we think that there's some sort of mystery in this book that is beyond our comprehension. You ever feel that way when you read the Bible? You ever feel that way when some guy stands up here and talks for a long time, you're not sure really what he's talking about? That, that, that maybe, just maybe, the pastor has some sort of knowledge that I don't have? That, that maybe somebody else... In the New Testament, we call these people the Gnostics, and they had some sort of special knowledge. And they said, well, most of you common folk can't understand this, but God has only imparted this special, this special uh, gnosis, this special knowledge to some of us. But I think there are hidden things in here that God keeps from us because we're not responsible enough to know what to do with it. And I think when we give ourselves to him and we call out to him in all circumstances, when he answers us, he begins to re reveal some of these things. I mean, the word even tells us sometimes that, that Jesus in his parables kept some of the meanings away from people so that they wouldn't understand that because they wouldn't know what to do with it or they would do the wrong thing with it or they would twist it in such a way. And because they were not his children, he did not respond. And so when he says, I will give you hidden things that you have not known, he's just saying, I'm going to reveal to you more parts of me. Our relationship's going to get stronger and you're going to know me a little bit better. God wants to show us amazing things. He really does. But it's not secret knowledge. It's just knowledge that we're maturing into. It's actually one of the things that I, I, I pray for over our church often, over and over again, is that sometimes we come to church and we just consume and we just kind of get full on what's offered to us, but nothing else happens throughout the rest of the week. There's not any time spent just getting to know the Lord. 
And, and, and so when I hear what's going on in your world, I hear what's happening, I, I, I can almost always go back to and say, everything about your spiritual life happens in a matter of about 45 minutes on a phone call. I'm not really surprised that you're coming to me looking for answers when Jesus is there for you and God's very clearly said, it doesn't matter if you're in prison, call to me and I'll answer you and I will reveal to you the hidden things that you haven't even heard about. As much as I love being your pastor, as much as I love standing before the Lord for you, there's only so much of that I can do. I've got to do so much of this on my own. I can't change your heart. I can't fix your circumstances. And I would do whatever I could to make that happen for you. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to make choices. And those choices say that I'm going to have the right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray in faith and he's going to hear my prayers. And I'm going to learn more about him and his character. And he's going to direct my path and he's good. Sometimes we understand that God's calling us to go on this mission. My hope that these hidden things are saying is there are people out there who don't know the truth at all, who are confused. They have an expectation that we really need to help them understand. If we were to put it like this, we could say that we can ask God, and he not only answers our prayers, he answers them big. Erwin Gray was an a athlete. He's a great pastor. He said something that, that theologically bothered me years ago, but I'm still wrestling with it. And he says, you know, we don't pray the way we ought to pray. We ought to, be, we ought to pray prayers that wake God up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat going, how am I ever going to possibly answer that? And I was bothered by that. I still have anxiety about, man, that's, first of all, God didn't sleep, okay? That, that wasn't his point. But he said, and you don't, you have not because you ask not. And you ask for such little trivial things because you know that if I ask for the big thing, I got to give him all of me. I don't want to just give him some of me and, and, and keep our distance. I have to give him all of me. If I really want him to do a work in my life, I got to give him all of my life to work with. Because what I'm giving him to work with ain't much anyway. It's even less when I'm holding on to those other parts. But I think God does want to answer our prayers, and I think he wants to answer them big. It's, it's what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. We pray small, and when God answers small, we're still dissatisfied. We ought to not only pray big, we ought to know that God's going to do great things because a big God does big things. And we serve a big God. Do any of you know the story of Hannah in the Bible? Hannah wanted children badly. She would go to pray. It was so bad that she would get in there and she'd start praying and the priest would wake up. Maybe from a drunken stupor, I don't know. He would see her and accuse her of being drunk too. It's kind of funny, it's like, how would you know? But she would pray over and over, Lord, your, your, your servant wants a child. And finally, she got to a place and she says, I tell you what, God, I'll make a deal with you. If you will give me a son, I'll give him to you. Let me, let me tell you what's big about that prayer. Hannah prayed that prayer before she ever conceived, before she ever knew she was pregnant. The scripture goes on to say that, that she knew her husband and eventually became pregnant. She committed her child to the Lord before that child even existed. Samuel 1.11 says, And she bowed her vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me 
and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Samuel would grow up to be a prophet to Israel. She just wanted a son. This guy would be the prophet to Israel. He would anoint Saul and David as king over Israel. David would get a promise from God that the, the, the Messiah would come through his lineage, being Jesus. And I like to think on some level it's because some woman prayed one prayer to have one child. And God said, that's not quite as big as I was thinking, Hannah. Pray a little bigger. I got bigger plans for you and for your child. Hannah kept her promise, and God exceeded his promise to her. And we are all beneficiaries of that today. Even today, one woman who said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him to you. Brings me to my last point this morning, is that our role is to pass along God's promises to the next generation. Before they ever get here, before they ever take the mantles of leadership in the church, it is our role to do so. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promises I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch, being Jesus, to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. Samuel anointed David. David got a promise from God that Messiah would come from him. That promise was for Jerusalem and for Israel, and it pays off for each and every one of us today. But there's a word in there that I think we really need to pay attention to. It says, behold, the days are coming. Behold, the days are coming. We're important for that time. Because from Jeremiah's lifetime, David had already died. The kingdom had already separated and divided. They already were about to be exiled. But here he's getting a promise from God that, behold, the days are coming, that I made a promise a long time ago that I'm going to bring salvation to all the earth and that everyone is going to be a beneficiary of that through the line of Abraham that eventually lead to David and lead to Jesus the Messiah. How will they ever possibly know that if we don't tell them? It says that the one that will come, the branch that will spring up for David, his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. That's Messiah, friends. That's Jesus that he will put right all the wrong in our lives for those that believe in him. And so I would ask you this morning, friends, as I wrap up just a little bit here, do you know why you're here this morning? Do you know why you're in this place? Do you know why you're in this church? Do you know why you're in fellowship with one another? Do you know why you're here this morning? Because God keeps his promises. And he's not done yet. And he has such a desire for the future. And that future is not tomorrow with July 4th and fireworks. That future is eternity with Christ Jesus in heaven forever and ever. We're going to make some changes to our children's ministry. We have to, as a church, make some changes to our children's ministry. Holistically, not just in the programming and the structure but to what we do in this community. Do you realize that more than 1,500 kids go to this school right here and not a single one of them come here on Sunday? I, I'm just going to let you in a little hint here. If you wonder if we're being successful at reaching our community, the answer is no. 
the promise of Jesus Christ, Messiah, that behold the days are coming when he will come back. And there are 1,500 kids that don't know that in our community. What are you doing here? What are you hoping for? That maybe we'll have a big event or something will happen and change and those people will come? I think I need to go back to Jeremiah 33.1. Jeremiah was at least wise enough in prison to hear the word of the Lord the second time. Pardon me and I will answer you. Behold, the days are coming. I'm begging you, church. I'm begging you to see the next generation deserve an opportunity of the salvation through Jesus Christ. They certainly don't deserve to have it just thrown to them. I'm going to hit you where it hurts this morning. It's not because I don't love you. I don't have to justify that. guilty. Don't get up because your pastor had a a prayerful plea. Get up because God honors his promises. And his promises said this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be the banner of the Lord every place you go. I will be your God and you will be my God. That's a promise works both ways. Some of you have got some gifts and some talents. Some of you have some callings from the Lord to do some things. Some of you have just been sitting on the sidelines and you're wasting it. We're going to work on a plan over the next 18 months to improve this by not asking for good results. But I know God keeps his promises. Part of his promises is this. This generation is my own inheritance. I live in this crazy place right now. I read a report this week about patriotism being down 39%. You know what? I think it's probably lower than that, and I really don't care because Christianity is down 70%. Church membership is down 50%, period. It ain't about the numbers sitting here on Sunday morning. I got to be honest, and there are 1,500 kids that came to hear Here in this room, I own most of that. But you've got to hear it from this history. Because the next generation of young people is starving. And we can all agree to do that. I love having food. I love having fellowship. But some of y'all are enjoying the buffet at my table a little too much, and you need to be serving on the other side of the plate. for this call it a move and I will answer it and I will reveal to you great secrets you know what you have to do to be good at children's ministry love God and love people that doesn't mean there aren't special people who have some talents and gifts when you do that God could ask you anything in the world and it's not crazy like we said last week it's not what he's asking it's who's in it
this one up. He says, Lord, we're going to commit this to you. We're going to plan, we're going to strategize, we're going to pray, but Lord, more than anything, we're going to worship you and we're going to trust you with our whole life. And Father, right now, I'm in a tough spot with this ministry because I so badly want to see this community transformed through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm calling out to you. And I'm begging you to answer, Lord. And reveal to us great and working truths. Father, I know that you died for us and you sent your son Jesus to be so because we love you. God, I'm a little bit concerned, but I'm a whole lot excited about what you're going to do in the coming days and weeks and months here in this city. Father, I pray that you will ignite a fire not just in this church, but in this community, a longing to fill that gap of what's missing. That's not entertainment. That's not fun kid stuff, Lord. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that completes and fulfills it. That's the God-sized hole in the heart of every human being that can ever be filled. Father, thank you that we always do good things. Jesus made a final promise to us that I want to invite you to this morning. And the promise of the Lord's Supper was a new covenant that he made with us. Mark 14, 22 says, And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in heaven. God's promise to us is that he would send Messiah through David, a branch would rise up, and he would be the righteous of the Lord. We see that when his body was resurrected and given to us. And so this morning I want to invite you to stand. The table is going to be open for you to come and take the Lord's Supper. Do so according to where your heart is with God. If you don't need to do this today, don't. That's okay. I prefer you didn't. I know you prefer you get things right. Father, we thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us for the salvation of all who would believe. And so, Lord, through faith, we pray to you, and we thank you, God, that you hear us when we call to you, and you reveal to us the secret and the hidden things. God, we just thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice for us, and thank you for the body that he broke. We ask this in his name.
It's in really interesting Acts chapter 1. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and New Jersey. Just before that, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, that power is going to come to you, and then you're going to go out. You're going to tell everybody about who I am and what I did for all of humanity. <laughs> Seven chapters later in the book of Acts, they're all still in Jerusalem. Nobody's left yet. And so God motivated them. Sent a man named Saul around to beat him up, kill him, throw him in prison. It says that all the disciples scattered, and that's how they got to Jerusalem. Friends, I understand to be timid sometimes about going and doing what God asks us to do, but you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit will have that power. So I'm going to invite you to be a part of what God's doing here. I really think there are great things and great days. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah says, still to come. Bless you. Be safe this holiday weekend.